2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reproof, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Thus far in our study of soul winning, we have looked at a number of alliterated subjects. Whether you've recognized they were alliterated or not doesn't really matter. It matters to me, and I guess that's important. We've addressed the analysis and the antecedent of soul winning. We've looked at the soul winner as the messenger of God, or you might say the angel of God. Under the word anatomy, Austin pointed us toward questions which can frame our presentation of Christ Jesus. And then for the last few weeks, we've been looking at several of our Old Testament ancestors. I'm not sure how we might have done it, but perhaps today's lesson, or more particularly next week's lesson, should have come earlier in the, se- in the series. But I guess that's neither here nor there. It is what it is. This morning, let's look at the antithesis of soul winning. Next week, the Lord willing, we will look at the soul winner's anchor. You might be able to guess what that will be. What is the gospel's antithesis? How many of you know the meaning of the word antithesis? Let me see your pause. Oh, come on now. <laughs> You're so shy. <laughs> what was that? And shallow. And, oh, well, I won't go there. <laughs> For those of you who are not aware of the word, It refers to something or someone who is the exact opposite of something or someone. Perhaps we could say the antithesis of Christ would be... The devil. The Antichrist. Not a bad answer, the devil. The antithesis of up. Down. Down, there you go. The antithesis of wet would be dry, that sort of thing. So what would be the antithesis of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Cunningly devised fables. Cunningly devised fables. I think the man was listening when we read the scripture a few minutes ago. Yes. The gospel means what? Good news. The opposite of good news is bad news. But it would have to be very special bad news to be the antithesis of the gospel. The truth is, every gospel minister must begin with bad news. 
It's a part of the gospel. Before he can proceed to the good news, he has to lay the foundation of the bad news. He must begin by pointing out the deplorable state in which each and every person is when they come into this world. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23 are important parts of the gospel, but they're not very positive. In fact, they are just the opposite, the antithesis to a certain degree. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not a good statement. I mean, it's not a pleasant statement. And the wages of sin is death. Death is not a very pleasant subject. Only when these two verses, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, are fully understood in some aspect, we don't need to use these scriptures to prove those two things, but the, the truths of those two scriptures must be fully understood before we can go on to the second half of Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That we are all sinners deserving of God's eternal wrath is not particularly good news. But it is not the antithesis of the gospel. Rather, it is the access to the gospel, or shall we say the entryway into the gospel. The person who doesn't go through the door of ultimate sinfulness doesn't need a savior, doesn't need the good news. No, the antithesis of the gospel is that which pretends to be the gospel, but it's not. So in a practical sense, the antithesis of soul winning should be Soul damnation. I'm sure you might be able to come up with some other false gospels, but I'm going to share with you a half dozen this morning. And I probably won't keep you very long. In no special order, we'll begin with one of these false gospels, which has been around since day number one, I suppose. The good people gospel. The good folk gospel. Brother Austin has mentioned several times that one of the most famous religionists in the United States today avoids mentioning the word sin when he is preaching. He reflects the common opinion of most people. It's just not worth discussing. This man doesn't want to offend people with the negative before he gets to his message of uh, positivity, shall we say. He justifies his brand of gospel preaching by saying, everyone knows they're sinners. We don't have to tell them. We're all aware of that. My experience is that very few people really understand that they are sinners before God. Very few people know the seriousness of sin. And they don't recognize that it is sin that is destroying our society, their neighborhoods, and even their own lives and physical bodies. 
Sin is something which needs to be preached and shared even in the personal soul-winning work that we carry out. Without a recognition of sin, as I've already suggested, there's no real need for a savior. We'll, we'll, We'll get by somehow. There are many good people gospel evangelists who skip over the subject of sin in order to rush on to the Savior, the Lord Jesus. I have to wonder what kind of Savior there Jesus is. Why did Christ go to the cross? Some people think that it was a terrible mistake. It was an accident, so to speak. It was not in the plan of the Heavenly Father, but that's the way it worked out. And the Lord just uh, made sure that uh, a positive outcome came along. No. It seems for some people that Jesus died on the cross in order to catch people's attention. Look at that. Why shouldn't you love this Jesus who gave himself to die on the cross? He's a very nice guy. He's a self-sacrificing individual. You should love him. You should serve him. That is not the gospel. Everybody likes an underdog who finally gets the victory. There was Jesus. He was living a good life. He was doing good things. And those bad people killed him. Ah, but he won the day because he came out of the grave later on. You have to like a, a Jesus like that. That's not the Christ of the gospel. Christ Jesus died in that horrible, humiliating, hopeless way because that was the only way in which wicked sinners like us could be brought to God. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are far... Far too many shallow preachers of the gospel. I'll put gospel in quotation marks right there. Christendom is filled with them. How many evangelists approach their victims with the word, We all make mistakes, nobody's perfect. You need a savior. The truth is, nobody makes mistakes. In the eyes of God, nobody makes mistakes. They sin against God. There's a different way, a different character between those two words. We don't make mistakes. Perfection is not our goal. Believe it or not, we need righteousness. We are not good people at heart. We are evil to the core and in desperate need of a new heart. Regeneration. As sinners, we need a gospel which reaches right down there into the gutter, into the cesspool where sinners reside. We need... We need something that can lift us up from the low depths in which we reside. Not just a little icing on the cake. We need 
We need substance. We need salvation. We are not good people. And therefore we need a better gospel than the good people variety. Another false gospel is the self-esteem variety. This deadly gospel is growing in power and popularity. It is related to the last one. In fact, most of these false gospels overlap in one fashion or another. For generations now, young people have been taught to believe in themselves. When I was in my teen years, uh, we were encouraged to go out and find ourselves. You remember that? What avenues could we travel down to find ourselves? Anyway, people today hear, you can be whatever you choose to be, whatever you want to be. Go for it. But sadly, after hearing that for a decade, from the year 10 to the year 20, uh, we go on in our lives and we find out well, we cannot be those things that we wanted to be or dreamed ourselves to be at some point. Some little boy hears this kind of message and he decides at the uh, age of uh, seven that he wants to become a professional basketball player. So he does all that he can to be, uh, become a basketball player. He plays with his friends, he joins the team at school, etc., etc. But the truth is, by the time that he's 16, he is five foot six and as slow as molasses in January. He'll never be a professional basketball player. Can't do it. And all his dreams and his hopes, they don't accomplish anything. Certainly there's nothing wrong with having goals and high expectations. But let's make sure that they're realistic. Not everyone has the mental acuity to become a chess grandmaster. But there's nothing wrong with mastering the game of chess and enjoying it at a high level with the friends that we have. In religion... There are pseudo-evangelists which encourage their victims to be their best, to do their best, and that will be enough. They leave the impression that if people believe themselves to be good enough for heaven, then eventually God will have to say, your faith is good enough, and your life is good enough. And you are good enough. And that person is taken on to glory. Not only does not God not agree with the self-esteem variety of the gospel, but he demands that we take the antithesis position. Before we can be saved, we have to empty ourselves of everything. We have nothing to offer God. Saul of Tarsus, Pharisee of the Pharisees, I mean, he was as outwardly religious and righteous as a person could be, but on the road to Damascus, he had to be emptied, and the Lord sucked everything out of him before he could be saved. That's just the way it is. 
At the time of our salvation, we need to admit that we have nothing positive to offer God. We have nothing at all. We are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of God. And our, we do all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. The self-esteem evangelist encourages people to follow their hearts. But the Bible tells us our hearts are not very trustworthy. In fact, our hearts are wicked. You follow that heart, you'll end up in hell. Self-esteem is not the way to get to heaven. Next, we come to the optional Jesus gospel. More and more of our neighbors believe that not only does every branch of Christendom, from the Jehovah's Witnesses to the Baptists to the Mormons, they're all going to heaven. Not only that, not just within Christianity, but uh, uh, all the world religions, no matter what name they use to describe God, they're all going to end up in the same place. Brahma is as good as Jesus in preparing his followers for the afterlife. And so are a bunch of other uh, so-called messiahs. But to say that Jesus is optional not only goes against the Bible's teaching about who Christ is, for example, but it destroys it destroys good news. What do you need good news for? Not only did Jesus give us John 14:6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But the apostles came along a little, a little later on and they reiterated those words with things like Acts chapter 4 and verse number, four, uh, verse number 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That excludes all uh, uh, Muslims and the Hindus and the Buddhists and so on. Think about this. If Jesus is only one of the ways to God, then there really isn't any news to share with people. We're okay. Everything's all right. But actually, if Christ is only one of the many ways to God, then he was a liar, and his disciples were liars and lunatics, or... Maybe Christ was a lunatic as well. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If that's not true, then he's a liar. And if uh, Peter said Christ is the only way to God, there's none other name under heaven, then either Peter was deceived or he was a liar. And with that as the background, Why do we need a gospel? The truth is, Christ is not optional. God does not present salvation to the world in a buffet table style. Pick whatever you like. It's all paid for by the same price. No. He that hath 
Christ the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. Pretty simple. Period. And then there is the prosperity gospel. A false gospel of an entirely different kind. The purveyors of this gospel essentially force people's eyes from heaven toward earth. (coughs) Consider what you might have here in this world because Jesus died on the cross. That's a caricature, I realize, but that's basically it. These evangelists encourage people to seek a happy, healthy, uh, and hopefully wealthy life on earth. Prosperity in all of its different forms. Then after 20 years of earthly prosperity, I say 20 years because it's only those people who are 70 that, I won't say only, but they're the primary ones that get sucked into this sort of thing. And they're retired and uh, some of them have money. And so they go on for 20 years. And after their 20 years of prosperity in this world, world, they die. They assume that the future is taken care of. The Lord blessed this. So I got this to look forward to. That sort of thing. But here is the thing. Most people are not as happy, healthy, and wealthy as they would like to be. The body of every healthy person slowly deteriorates. There is no such thing as prosperous health at the age of 99. I don't care how healthy that person is. Prosperous health at that age does not exist. Practically speaking, there is no guarantee that people ever become rich. Except if perhaps you are a prosperity gospel preacher. (laughs) And certainly, happiness is available to everybody. But it comes and goes. We have our good days and our bad days. And then what happens to that person's faith in regard to eternity... When his health breaks, and when his prosperity gospel preacher has taken all of his finances from him, is he to assume that since his earthly life is no longer prosperous, my eternal life will be? So many, even in the the Jews, looked at wealth as an indication of God's eternal blessing. If I'm not prosperous in this world, should I expect to be prosperous in the other world? If I am drying up here, do I have anything to hope for there? The person who cozies up to Christ, hoping to find his temporal life to be easy, will eventually have to turn from Christ when his life unravels. And that happens. Rather than a love for God, the prosperity gospel often produces a hatred for God who didn't keep his promises to make me healthy and uh, wealthy in this world. It's a false gospel. And the 
and one gospel is a common false evangelism. The and one. This can take a number of different forms, but they all begin with just a little bit of faith in Christ. So I believe that Jesus died on the cross to save me from my, my sin. And I expect to go to heaven when I die because to faith in Christ, I have added this list of things, whatever the list might be for that particular person. Yes, I put my faith in the death of Christ, but since the day I was saved, I started working in a soup kitchen feeding the homeless just to clinch the nail and make sure that it doesn't pull out. I believe in Jesus, but I also believe in good, old-fashioned, religious service. I only go to church once a month, third Sunday of the month, and I bring a casserole. <coughs> Everything's fine between me and the Lord. How many people who send money to that orphanage in Zimbabwe, which may or may not actually exist, how many people who send money to that orphanage feel confident in their salvation when they are no longer able to support that orphanage? Have they lost their salvation because they can no longer do that work that they were involved in? Hopefully they sent enough money in the full years to make up for what they can't do in the lean years. Maybe they think along that line. Oh, and by the way, is sending a check to the Humane Society, does sending a check to the Humane Society have the same weight as uh, sending money to a leper colony? In our society... Feeding the kitties and the doggies is more important than taking care of those human beings on the other side of the world that uh, we have no connection with. How many of these kinds of people eventually look at their sacrifice as becoming more important than Jesus' sacrifice? It seems to me it's just a natural thing. It just evolves in that way. Yes, they started with faith in Christ and then they started adding these other essential things to their salvation until they are focused not on Christ but on these other things. Where is their faith? Not in the Lord. Where is their salvation? It doesn't exist. I think it's a natural thing over time to begin to focus on the milk of human kindness deeds than on the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Another form of this and one gospel or faith plus gospel can actually go in the other direction. The Lord will save my soul if I have enough faith in Christ and I loathe myself sufficiently. If I don't remind myself every single day that I had an abortion when I was 17 years old, and if I don't hate myself for what I did as a foolish teenager, then the Lord will not take me to heaven. 
That's not the Gospel. That's not true. David was a murderer. King David, the psalmist, was a murderer. Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul, was a murderer. And I think in reading the things that they have written, that we have in the Word of God, I think it can be said that from time to time, they remembered what terrible things they had done. But, how shall I put it? Their self-abhorrence was not a part of their salvation. Belittling yourself is not the same thing as humbling yourself in the sight of God. I suppose another aspect of this false gospel might be tied to understanding God and His Word. There is not a 70% mark that you have to reach in your knowledge of the Word of God to get a passing grade with the Lord. Anything below 69 is an F, failure, hell. No. It's not necessary that you be able to explain lapsarianism, trinitarianism, preterism in order to be a child of God. What you need to know is that you are a sinner. You cannot save yourself, but Christ Jesus, the Son of God, the righteous sacrifice, the Lamb of God, went to Calvary. He shed His blood on that cross. And if you put your faith, and if you put your faith in Him, it will uh, indicate that you are a child of God. I suppose there are other varieties of this uh, meet-the-mark kind of gospel. And if I didn't say it earlier, I'll just let your minds grasp those sorts of things. Another false message might be the cheap grace gospel. Whether or not this evangelist actually says it, what he suggests is Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. And since the Holy One gave his all and God accepted that righteous payment, it is history, it is past, it's on the uh, heavenly books. Now, you can go ahead and live however you want. The blood of Christ is taking care of you. In fact, because your sins are under the blood, you could logically even be worse than you were before, and everything is all right. This evangelist tells his victims that because of the sacrifice of Christ, they may live under grace, being freed from the law. God's statutes are still in effect. They can't save us, but they show us where we're supposed to be. And if we reject that, then it's an indication there's no, there's no salvation there. There's no, no uh, holy li There's no life there. To grasp God's grace and forgiveness in order to commit more sin cheapens the gift of that grace and it proves that person is not converted, not a child of God. Faith does not give us the freedom to remain in sin. It frees us from sin that we might go on to serve the one who saved us. 
in a few minutes in our morning message, I will deal with the baptismal regeneration gospel. But while Peter is mentioning salvation and baptism, almost in the same breath, he says, I'm not talking about putting away the filth of the flesh. No one in the Bible washed their sins away through baptism. It doesn't happen. There are some scriptures which can be twisted into baptismal regeneration-shaped pretzels, but it's an, illus- it's a, an illusion. For more than a thousand years, and I only mention it in the course of this small lesson, for more than a thousand years, this kind of gospel has sent more people to hell than any other variety of gospel. Taught by the prevalent church for... 1,500 years, 1,800 years. But in truth, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And finally, related to baptismal regeneration, is the church membership gospel. This is just what it appears to be. If someone is a member of such and such a church, that church says, you're good enough for heaven. And anyone who's not a part of This church is not good enough for heaven. I'll close with an illustration. Judy and I were in the Atlanta airport uh, just a few weeks ago. Uh, After our plane, just picturing going home, after our plane arrived, uh, we got off, we got into the terminal, and we read the sign, and it said, oh, we have to go from Terminal T to Terminal B to get our connection to Spokane. So we went down this huge escalator down into some uh, passageway and up another escalator a little later on, and we came to Terminal B, and we read the sign which said, oops, your plane parked in a different lot. Now you have to get back in. We got in this pilotless little rail car to go from Terminal T to Terminal B. So now we're back up on top again. We're going back down again to go in this little uh, plane train, they call it, in Atlanta, to go from Terminal B to Terminal A where our plane was. And we made the trip. Some people think of their church like we did our plane train. Church will take you to heaven. Sadly, the religious rail car, the church plane train, always goes to the wrong, wrong terminal. Yes. Not sometime, yes. always goes to the wrong terminal. Yeah. Or perhaps it would be more correct to say, it doesn't go anywhere. Maybe that would be more accurate. Catholics used to teach that their church was the only way to get to heaven. From what I understand, in the last few years, they've relaxed that a little bit and allowed the Anglicans to get in there, and maybe the Lutherans and some of the others. Most Christian cults believe this kind of doctrine. If you're not one of us, you belong to Satan. There's no hope for you. 
And it is sad to say, there are some Baptists which come very close to that same teaching. If you're not one of us, you're not saved. But the truth is, only in Christ is there salvation from sin. Only in Him is there access to the Heavenly Father. Some churches preach enough gospel to help people to be saved. But no church in and of itself can save anyone. False gospels. 